Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Say the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. If you've got your Bibles and you want to kind of follow along, uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18 today. Matthew chapter 18. This is one of my favorite stories in the world, and mainly because it was not a pleasant time in my life whatsoever. But I was just a little video kid, probably. Uh, I mean, I know I was in elementary, so I don't really know what age I was, maybe eight or nine, something like that. And I was always a dog person. I've had wiener dogs since, you know, my entire life. And um, I had a cocker spaniel named Buffy and a little wiener dog named Lucy. But one day, this cat showed up. And y'all, some of y'all have heard this story before, but we got thousands of people that have it. But we had this cat show up, and I never had a cat. Um, and I realized later why I don't have cats is when I have cats, their, their bodies get in my eyeballs and in my nose and make me need Benadryl and an EpiPen, okay? But when you're eight years old, you don't care about breathing and that other important stuff. And so this stray cat shows up at the house and we lived in town at the time. My dad was, a, was a sheriff of Reagan County. And anyway, uh, it was an outside cat. We fed it. She kind of stuck around. And one day we was going to the store, right? And so we get in my mom's little Chevy station wagon, right? And mom gets in. And just as I get in, I'm fixing to close the door. Here comes Princess. Princess jumps in the car. And I say, Mom, can I take Princess to the store with us? And she goes, Sure, you're going to have to sit in the car and, you know, with her when we get there. Okay, Mom, that'll be great. Yay! Right? what nine-year-olds do. So I put my seatbelt on and I shut the door. And I shut the cat's tail in the door. I don't know how to adequately describe the hell that came from that cat. That cat grew horns, fangs, and looked like a vampire as it went and scratched me from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet and finally, I had to grab that cat by the neck and pin her up against the dash while she's just raking me to open up. Because I didn't close it in this end. I closed it in the hinge end. Yeah. So the last I saw of Princess, she was hightailing it down Maryland Avenue in Big Lake, Texas with a tail that looked like this. And we never saw Princess again. Miss that cat. The moral of the story is, life is full of conflict. And that's about one of the worst conflicts I was ever in. I was also nearly beat to death by, by a bulldogger in Snyder, Texas one time. I'd take the bulldogger, bulldogger over the cat. Be careful who you mouth off to. I didn't mouth off to the bulldogger. I mouthed off to his puny friend, and the bulldogger took offense to it and hit me where I wasn't looking. Life is full of conflict, right? What do you do biblically how do you handle conflict as a Christian? Primarily today, we will be talking about how to handle conflict between two believers, okay? Because, and, and the reason I will focus on how to handle conflict between two believers is because you really can't talk too much about conflict with a person that doesn't believe because we're going to use godly standards and biblical principles to guide our conflict resolution 
Somebody that doesn't believe doesn't have to play by those. So it's kind of like conflict with an unbeliever is different because it's kind of like playing a game that they get to make the rules up as they go. Does that make sense? So primarily today, I want you to understand that we are going to talk about conflict resolution between believers. Okay? Now, in a healthy manner, I am going to summarize this entire sermon, and then you're going to wonder why I even went through all the trouble if I'm going to give you the answer in the very beginning. Here's the answer in the very beginning. There's two outcomes when dealing with conflict between two believers. One is mandatory. The other is hoped for, okay? The mandatory one is what we're going to talk about first. And when they're in the issue of conflict between two believers, forgiveness is absolute. Forgiveness is absolute. There is nowhere in the Bible, no matter what happens, that Jesus says, you know what? You don't really have to forgive that person. You have to forgive everything else, but not that one, because I know how bad it hurts you, okay? Now, we're talking about between two believers, right? But even in, this is the only time now that I will bring in unbelievers. That applies to unbelievers as well. There is nowhere in Scripture will you find, God says it's okay if you don't forgive something. Not one single time. According to God, it is a command of God's. There is never, no matter what, and I'm not making light of anybody's situation. I don't know what heinous things have been done to you in your life. I'm not making light of them. I'm not trying to diminutize anything. But there is no reason whatsoever not to forgive somebody. Why? Because they deserve it? No. We forgive because we've been forgiven. That's it. That's all. We forgive because we have been forgiven. Now, in the Lord's, even in the Lord's prayer, Jesus says, forgive us our trespasses. In other words, he's talking to God, forgive us when we sin, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Forgive us for our sins, God, and we're going to forgive those that have sinned against us. You cannot ask for forgiveness from God in the same breath as not offering it to somebody else. As a matter of fact, it's so important that in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 23, Jesus gives an example, a parable. A parable is just a story so that we can wrap our minds around something, okay? It's a parable called the unforgiving servant. Now, basically... Let me summarize these few passages so you don't have to sit here and listen to me just read out. Um, A guy owes his king millions of dollars. And he goes to the king and he said, I can't pay this back. I am begging your forgiveness. Help me out. I'm in dire straits. Blah, 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 blah. And the king has mercy on this guy and says, you know what? You know what? Everything you, you owe me is wiped out now. And the guy's like, oh, thank you, king, thank you, king, thank you, king, thank you, king. And the guy leaves. Well, he owes the king money because other people owe him some money, right? He can't pay back his loan to the king because people haven't paid him back. So all of his debt to the kingdom is erased, yet he goes to the people that owe him money, and he has one of his people that owes him money thrown in jail until the guy can pay him what he owes him, even though this guy's debt 
has been wiped out. The king finds out that he had forgiven all of this debt, yet this guy's still trying to collect from all these people over here. The king gets so mad, he sends the guy out to be arrested and he throws the guy in jail and says, you can rot in there until you pay it off. Now, how quickly do you think he can pay that off if he's sitting in jail? That's what unforgiveness means to God. That we have been forgiven this huge, huge debt that we are supposed to forgive others just as well. From the Lord's Prayer to the parable of the unforgiving servant, nobody ever said, you know, I, in some sort of fashion, guys, I really want to say that forgiveness is advanced Christianity, but I don't think it is. I think it's as basic a Christianity as, as it gets because our, our whole religion is based upon belief in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, right? So I don't think that this is advanced. I think that this is real, Okay, I think that this is something that we must wrap our minds around. We don't have to agree with it. We don't have to like it. We just have to do it. So why is it so hard to forgive? Because, I mean, these concepts sitting in a controlled environment like this, like, oh, yeah, you should forgive somebody. Wait till it happens, right, Kevin? Listen, I get it, guys. Just because I don't know yours and you don't know mine doesn't mean that they're not really rank. We must forgive. Why is it hard to forgive? Well, pride, we don't forgive because we want to see justice done. We want to see them pay, right? Maybe it's just because we're hurt. It's because we feel powerless, right? Sometimes holding a grudge in, in certain situations where there's unforgiveness, it's because we do feel powerless. And so holding a grudge sometimes is the only resort we think we have left to do something about what was done. And you can't go back and change the past. And I think that that essentially, that's what forgiveness is, is the courageous act of no longer trying to recreate the past. I mean, you, there's nothing that can be done about, you, you can't go back in time and change it. But just because you forgive someone, okay, there's a, there's, there's a thousand reasons why we think that we're justified in not forgiving someone, whatever. And this is between you and God, not you and me. But just because you forgive somebody, understand this. That doesn't mean that you have to reconcile with them. That does not mean that you have to reconcile. One of the coolest aspects of New Covenant Christianity, and what do I mean by New Covenant Christianity? The Old Covenant was the law. All these laws that you had to follow, you had to sacrifice animals and all of that. That's Old Covenant theology. New Covenant theology is, where, is what we follow now. The New Covenant with faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. That he was a propitiation of sins and blah, 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 right? But one of the coolest aspects of New Covenant Christianity, our faith in Jesus Christ, is something called the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. Let me see if I can put this in a nutshell because when Paul wrote this, it basically turned the entire Jewish mindset on its ear and just erupted in violence. Okay? This ministry of reconciliation, what does it mean? Under Old Testament law, if Blake offends me to reconcile the relationship, Blake has to make it up to me. He has to pay recompense in some form or fashion for me to be able to say, I forgive you, okay? That's the Old Testament law. It is the person that does the offending, the person that does the sinning that must make it up to the other party, okay? 
And then Jesus came along. And then Jesus came along. Because let me ask you this. What, how can we make it up to God? How can we earn God's forgiveness? We can't. So, New Testament, Paul said this ministry of reconciliation, and it's in 2 Corinthians. Okay, you should go read it. This new ministry of reconciliation. In other words, we are the ones that messed up with our relationship with God. Every time we sin, we mess it up. So by Old Testament standards, we have to make it up to God. Did you know in the New Testament, this is what happens. We are the ones that sinned. God makes a way for us to be reconciled to him through the death of his son. He fixed the problem that we made. We can't make it up to God. The, and I mean, we attempted to make it up to God by sacrifice of animals and stuff like that. But even the Bible says that that does not take away anything forever. It just takes away something for a short time. It's like a Band-Aid on a gushing arterial wound. It may help percentage-wise, but it's not the real deal. Because the real deal is Jesus Christ. And even though we are the offenders... We are the ones that messed up. We are the ones that broke God's heart. We are the offending party. God made a way for us to come back into his fellowship, and that's called reconciliation. That is called reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 19. God was working, and I'm reading it out of the Simplified Cowboy Version because it's just a, it, it's pretty, it's pretty theological and e even in the easiest to read version, so maybe this will help. God was working through Jesus when he had him die for our sins, and the narrow gate was flung open wide. This wonderful message has the power to change our relationship with God from being an enemy to a son. In other words, we messed up, but because God loves us so much and he is so good, he paved the way for us to be able to come back to him. That's like somebody murdering your son and then testifying on stage that he should never be punished for it whatsoever. That's what God did for us. No wonder, no wonder that this is so important to God. It's the basis of our religion. This concept of forgiveness of sins. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So what is reconciliation? I've given you the big, the big concepts of it. Listen. Forgiveness requires one person, you. Reconciliation requires two. And you know what? You should shoot for it, but sometimes that's just not possible, okay? Because you can't make somebody do something else. But here's the other thing. Reconciliation is a restoration of the fellowship that you had with that person, and now we're talking about between believers, right? Fe uh, reconciliation restores the relationship to pre-offense, pre-sin. Okay, forgiveness is mandatory. Reconciliation is wanted, okay? But it's not mandatory. Because listen, man, if somebody touches your kid inappropriately, you ain't gonna let that person near your kid anymore, okay? That, that relationship is broken, it's done, it's payad, right? Never let you near my son. I can forgive you, but you ain't coming near my kid again, right? We understand that. Forgiveness isn't absolving them of the responsibility. Forgiveness doesn't mean, you know what? Now that I think about it, what you did, it ain't that bad. I forgive you. That is not what forgiveness means, okay? Reconciliation rebuilds the relationship. Forgiveness just opens a door for that to happen. Reconciliation is advanced 
forgiveness. It is wanted. It is wanted, but it's not mandatory, okay? Forgiveness doesn't mean you reconcile. It's just better for everyone and brings more glory to God if you try, okay? It's just a way. I mean, seriously, man, how can I say this? Anybody, I mean, we all have a selfish nature. We kind of talked about that in our Bible study this morning of, of our sinful nature and how we can let all these other things in. But, you know, if we are a selfish person, God has already said, if you'll just do it my way, I'll open the floodgates of heaven and bestow a blessing on you that you cannot even handle. I don't know why we wouldn't do it God's way, because when we do it God's way, there's nothing but blessings come from God. Well, there's some things that come from men too that's not blessings, but we just get used to that part. So forgiveness doesn't mean reconciliation. Forgive, reconciliation should happen, but it's not mandatory. That's a case-by-case basis, okay? But what about between two believers? A lot of times, Matthew 18, 15 through 19, and you'll hear me say it, you've heard Mitch say it. I mean, it is, it is the model for church conflict, okay? Let me just briefly tell you what it means. It means, it basically says, and this is Jesus talking, if your brother offends you, if your brother sins against you, okay, sins against you, that does not say if your brother has a different opinion than you, if he likes bay horses and you like yellow horses, okay? This is not an opinion deal. If your brother sins against you, go to him in private and talk to them. 95% of every conflict in your life can be solved with that one statement right there. You don't go to this person. You don't go to that person. You don't go to Facebook. You don't go to Snapchat because... Well, it's not really, if it disappears, I didn't really say it, okay? That doesn't even work, okay? Matthew 18, 15 through 19 says, if your brother offends you, go to him in private. Listen, man, there's nothing more cowboy than that right there. Be man enough to go and say, here's the problem I have. But understand that this action right here and all subsequent actions in Matthew 18, 15 through 19, the one goal is reconciliation. It is not to prove who is right and who is wrong. The goal is reconciliation. Okay? So it says, go to your brother in private and talk about it. And if y'all still kind of button heads over this, then take somebody else, not so that you can gang up on the other person, just so that there is no he said, she said. In other words, use a friend to try to help foster this reconciliation. That's the whole point. And I think that a lot of people use Matthew 18, 15 through 19 to, to just go and say whatever they want. Well, you offended me. Listen, just because you're offended, it don't make you right. Let me say that again. Just because you get offended does not make you right. It could be, but it's not guaranteed. And I think that if you want to look at the number one thing in this world that has started us on a death spiral, it might be that sentiment right there that if you're offended, you're right. No, that's wrong. Even the dog agrees, right? So you go to your brother in private. If that doesn't work, you take somebody else along and you tell them, I want to fix this relationship, but this is standing in between it. My goal is reconciliation. My goal is forgiveness. My goal is fellowship with my brother or sister. And if that doesn't work, then you take it before the church. If it's that big of a deal, you take it before the church. Forgiveness and reconciliation. Listen, I know that this is hard. I've already told you one hard truth. Being offended don't make you right. Remember that. 
And the other thing is this. And guys, I, I, I just, you have to know that what I'm about to say is purely out of love because I care for you and I want to see you grow. And here it is. Quit waiting for an apology that you're not going to get because you don't need it. You don't need it. Quit waiting. Whatever, if you're harboring something, quit waiting for an apology that you're not getting because you don't need it. What you need is to forgive so that you can move forward. Okay? Two really, really hard things dealing with forgiveness and reconciliation. Number one, being offended does not make you right. And number two, quit withholding forgiveness because you're waiting on an apology that you're ne it's not going to bring you what you think it will. Guys, it's not going to change anything. You think it will, but it won't. Forgive. Forgive. So what happens if you don't? What happens if you're sitting there and you're just like, look, Kevin, man, I know what God has to say about it. I believe you. I, I've read it with my own eyes, but it ain't happening. Well, let's talk about what might happen. What if, I, what, if you don't, what if I don't forgive somebody? Does Matthew 18, talking about the unforgiving servant, where you get locked up and blah, 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 does that tell us that we're, we're, we're going to go to hell if we don't forgive somebody? No, no. What that verse meant was when you don't forgive somebody, there's two relationships that we have with God. One is a relationship. One is a fellowship. It's kind of like uh, me and my son, that is a relationship. Nothing can come in between that without one of the parties saying, I want out of it, right? relationship status doesn't change. And especially as we talked about last time in Old Testament, if in the Old Testament, if you adopted somebody, you could never leave them. They were yours for life. That is a relationship that we have with God. Nothing can come between the love of God and us, but something can come in between the fellowship. Something can come in between the fellowship. The friendship with God is broken. You're still proud. You're still going to go to heaven. I, I believe that once a relationship is set in stone, I believe it is there. But you know what? You can miss out on a lot of blessings. You can miss out on a lot of joy. You can miss out on, quite frankly, every good thing that comes from God, you can miss out on. And it's not because God doesn't want to give it. It's because we put our hands behind our backs and we walk away from him and we say, this is more important than you, God. This has a higher standing in my life than you do. And that breaks the fellowship with God. It's not that we don't have his phone number. It's just that our, our calls keep getting dropped. We can't get through. You know, Mitch even said this morning, we were kind of talking about this in our Bible study. It's kind of like you're looking for God, but when the fellowship is broken, all these new walls in your house are thrown up and the lights are out and it's pitch dark. How are you supposed to find God in that? And that's our choices that we make by not doing what God says. When we do what God says, it opens up all of this stuff to a beautiful, beautiful life. And when we don't do, it's the opposite. With our fellowship with God damaged because of our choices, now we open the door to being bitter and having a hard heart. That's what unforgiveness does. When we don't forgive, we intentionally close off the blessings from God. We literally say, this is more important than you, God. When we close off the blessings... The love has a hard time flowing to us and especially through us. Unforgiveness sets the limit on growth. Listen, man, I hate to say it, but there's like a governor, right? It's like you can't go faster than the unforgiveness. 
No matter where you want to go, you cannot grow. You're going to butt up against that, and it's going to be the limit on your growth. That's what's going to happen. Not only are the blessings going to flow, you're not going to be able to go anywhere. You're not going to receive the fruit of the Spirit, not because it's not there, it's because we've turned our backs on it. It is this important. Unforgiveness sets the limit on growth. You cannot grow beyond it, and you can't grow around it. This isn't one of those things that you just slide underneath the carpet and lay it down and you just go on with our happy lives. It will start to eat at our joy. And when that thing is not being replenished by the blessings of God because we've turned our backs on Him, it just gets rank. It just gets ranks. But maybe we can just say this right here. Unforgiveness, it just makes us miserable. And the side effect of that is those that are around us become miserable as well. What happens if we don't forgive? Nothing good. There's nothing good that's going to come of it. But what happens if you do? What happens if you do? You'll be set free. You will be set free. Free from the constant stress of worrying about that. Free from the cage, from the prison that has been made because somebody else made a poor decision, because somebody else was mean, because somebody else was hurt. They decided to hurt us. We will be set free. Free from blame in the sight of God. Man, when we offer somebody forgiveness, we become above reproach. We are willing to do the hard things because Jesus was willing to do the hard thing. And like, even make no mistake about it, he asked God if there was another way right before he was arrested and crucified. Don't, don't forget that. He asked God, God, are you like, I, I'm willing. Okay, I'm willing, God. Are you sure there's not another way? And God said, no, there's no other way. And he goes, well, then let's get it done. Let's get it done. Let's save all of these people. Let's prepare a place. Let's throw that narrow gate. Let's throw it wide open and let the children come. 